Intro music be damned, I think my acapella is getting a lot better. Welcome back, everyone, to Tactics and Operations, the McTogg podcast. I am still your host, Captain Jesse Schmidt, and today we are talking about kind of some foundational theory on education that has really informed all of the changes that have happened at McTogg and really throughout TCOM over the past couple months, uh, maybe years. It is something that I was not exposed to until I arrived at McTogg, but I will absolutely be carrying with me really throughout the rest of my military career. Uh, it is something that is absolutely crucial to understanding how we as a force become more ready, and, and really prepare ourselves for the next major conflict. And that, of course, is andragogy. For those of you who are not fluent in the Latin, andra, meaning like man or adult, and goji, meaning learning. So adult learning. How do adults learn? That being juxtaposed against pedagogy, or children learning, how children learn. We'll start with that because I'm certain everyone has had an experience with it at some point in their life. You are presented with a whole bunch of facts, and you memorize them, and you come take the test, and it's a multiple choice. You make sure you fill in all the right bubbles on your Scantron, and by golly, at the end of the test, you have learned something. Knowledge is created. Congratulations. Go forth into the world and do good things. Uh, my experience has been, both in high school, like classic academic settings, as well as military PME settings, that it's not always the most effective way to really create long-term learning. Say it's a, you know, a five-day course, right? Something we're probably all familiar with. You get facts pounded into your head Monday through Wednesday. There's a test review. You couldn't see it because of the limitations of the podcast medium, but I was definitely doing air quotes there. On Thursday, that is weirdly similar to the test, and a lot of foot stomping goes on, and you take the test on Friday, everybody passes with an 80% or above, and you find by that the following Tuesday, you've already forgotten everything you learned the week prior. Turns out there is actually science to back up your instinct. If you ever thought to yourself, man, this might not be the most effective way to actually teach people things, congratulations, you were right. So, that being the pedagogical model, or the pedagogical model, pedagogy, child learning. Andragogy, right? Adult learning. Like I mentioned, this was something I was exposed to first at McTogg. All McTogg instructors go through a graduate-level course on andragogy from Dr. Gene Coughlin. He's a retired Marine gunner who is now an academic and does some stuff in the, the private sector. All kinds of really, really cool stuff. We're going to have him on the podcast here in just a little while. And believe me, he will probably explain this far better than I. But what I wanted to do before we have Gene on is kind of go over a foundation, just basic andragogy principles, so that when we get him on, we can spend time with him asking more advanced questions and some more interesting stuff. So let's start with the traits of an adult learner. What makes an adult learner an adult? It's not just a number. It's not just age. Um, but there are... Well, there are a number of different lists. I have boiled them down. I think there are six. If you Google this, you can find eight. You can find ten. Uh, but I like to keep things as simple as possible. So we're sticking with six, at least for the purposes of this podcast. Neatly enough, that also aligns with what Gene taught me in the course just, uh, man, just about a year ago. Anyhow, the traits of an adult learner. I'm going to read them off all through, and then we'll come back and talk about each of them individually. They are, an adult learner has a need to know 
An adult learner is self-directed. An adult learner is learning based on prior experience. An adult learner has an intrinsic readiness to learn. An adult learner has a problem-centered orientation to learning. And finally, an adult learner is internally motivated for the learning. So, as a list, they sound great and all, but as we go through them each individually and kind of discuss them, put yourself in the mindset of thinking of a career Marine, whether it's a staff NCO who could have, you know, anywhere from 10 to, to 15 years in the Marine Corps, or an officer who, you know, did some college, and maybe they're a junior officer only with three to four years in the Marine Corps, or they're an incoming OPSO with, again, 12-ish years in the Marine Corps. That's the, the lens through which we're going to look at all these, but I think that they apply really across any kinds of schoolhouse beyond just what McTogg is doing. So again, that first one is the adult learner's need to know. And if an adult learner does not understand why they are learning something, they simply won't be able to. The adult brain simply has too much going on and there are too many demands on its time that if you your brain doesn't understand why spending the time and effort to learn something is valuable your brain will be less effective at doing it that's the neuroscience behind it beyond just how it makes you feel when you feel like you're wasting your time learning something you don't need the next being the learner's self-direction an adult learner can't learn from a lesson plan the same way that a child could in grade school, we, you know, the teacher is the one who determined what lessons went where in the curriculum, and we were going to learn our shapes and then our colors and then the math. An adult learner has to be part of that discussion. And in some ways, this makes sense given what we just talked about, the, the need to know. If an adult learner doesn't have the opportunity to guide their own learning, ask their own questions, maybe draw the lesson or the conversation towards something that they see valuable— Again, they will be less able to learn something. Curriculums built for adult learners, almost by definition, have to have some kind of wiggle room for the learner to self-direct the topic of learning to things that they value. The next trait of adult learner is the role of the learner's experience, right? We're adults. We are people who have lived already and have our experiences. In the particular case of McTogg, a lot of our students are very experienced. Hell, they're more experienced than the instructors. I came to McTogg as a captain, and the students that I am teaching are editing note. And even there, you can see where I said, the students I am teaching, it's not that I'm teaching them, it's that I'm helping to facilitate learning for adult learners. It's just a different kind of mindset that even I, someone who knows at least a little bit about this, sometimes I slip back into the model where I, as the instructor, teach the students. That's just not the case. Anyway, back to what I was saying. And the students that I am teaching are, in some cases, majors and master gunnery sergeants people with far more time in the Marine Corps than myself. The experience of the learner, though, can either become an obstacle or an opportunity. An, an educator who is deliberate about teaching adults has to hone their skills in their ability to use the learner's experience, to expand on lessons, to draw out more discussion, rather than letting that experience become an obstacle, because it's easily a way for the learner to shut off a source of outside information and say, what you are teaching me does not match my prior experience, 
Therefore, I reject it. This schoolhouse is stupid, and I can't wait for the end of course critique. The fourth and fifth traits of the adult learner are in some ways intertwined, but the fourth is the readiness to learn. An adult learner is not ready to learn in the same way that a kindergartner is ready to learn their shapes and colors. An adult has to have the need for that learning to occur. They have to run into a problem and decide, now is the time for learning for me to be able to better overcome this obstacle. And that there is the fifth trait of the adult learner, the orientation to learning. Adults are life-centered. They are task-centered, and they are problem-centered. Learning takes the orientation of the problem came first, therefore I must learn to solve it, versus pedagogy, where a lot of times the learning occurs first, and then you are tested on it. Adults don't learn well that way. And the sixth and final trait of the adult learner is intrinsic motivation or internal motivation. In some cases, adults can be externally motivated by promotion opportunities or a salary raise or something to that effect. But for the most part, for an adult learner to be effective and really internalize and create knowledge, they have to be internally motivated. They have to see the learning as valuable to themselves, not as valuable to something external to themselves. I know this is probably about the point that a lot of you are thinking that this podcast is a waste of your time because all of these are just so obvious, right? Um, that was the experience I had when I learned a little bit about andragogy was that all of these principles seem fairly self-evident. As an adult learner myself, we are all adult learners. If you're an adult and you've learned something, those six traits seem self-evident. I know that I learn best when all six of those criteria are being filled. And yet, how many of our premier educational institutions take those traits and deliberately guide their curriculum to accommodate them all? I know that I never would have deliberately considered them prior to this course with Dr. Coughlin. That being said, the Marine Corps is starting to change. The, uh, the massive ship that is the entire Corps, there are changes coming down the pipe. The recent Commandant's Planning Guidance, released by General Berger, that is, again, worthy of its own podcast in its entirety to discuss all of the nuance and implications of that document, has a specific section on education and training. And in that section, on the very first page, I'm going to read you this quote. I have noticed over the past several years that there is an increasing dissonance between what we are doing with regard to training and education and what we need to be doing based on the evolving operating environment. Specifically, many of our schools and training venues are firmly based in the, quote, lecture, memorize facts, regurgitate facts on command, quote, model of industrial age training and education, end quote. Just a few lines later, the commandant continues to say, quote, what we need is an information age approach that is focused on active, student-centered learning using a problem-posing methodology where our students slash trainees are challenged with problems that they tackle as groups in order to learn by doing and also from each other. I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like he directly called out, we're doing too much pedagogy and not enough andragogy. 
He didn't use those words exactly, obviously, but I'm guessing that's because the number of active duty Marines who can actually speak Latin can be counted on one hand, so, you know, that was probably a good call on his part. And interestingly, he brings up the next concept I want to talk about, which is learning by doing. Or, or experiential learning. He specifically used that phrase, learning by doing. Dr. David Kolb, K-O-L-B, uh, in 1984, published his experiential learning cycle, which is exactly that, a description or a model for understanding how we learn by doing. His model has been written on a ton in the time from 1984 till now, but if you just Google Kolb's experiential learning cycle, I'm sure you will find exactly what I'm talking about, because I'm going to describe it now, but it is, I personally think it's easier to understand with the visual medium. He's kind of got a, a cycle here with, obviously, it's kind of going clockwise. It's a circle. I mean, you know what cycles look like. So it starts with a concrete experience at the 12 o'clock position. That is doing or having an experience that is new to you and to your mind. The next stage in the cycle is at 3 o'clock, reflective observation. And that's reviewing or reflecting on the experience. It is not enough simply to experience something new. For the brain to learn, it has to look back on that and examine it. What that feeds most importantly is the 6 o'clock position now, abstract conceptualization. That is actually concluding or learning from the experience. As you've gone back in your reflective observation and you've thought about the concrete experience you've had, your mind starts to make connections, starts to draw conclusions, starts to make lessons from the experience you had. All of these are distinct and individual points in the learning cycle. But what comes next is active experimentation. Now that you've learned something, or you think you have based on the past, you start planning out your next concrete experience. Your brain is telling itself, the next time I am in this situation, based on my past experiences, we should do this, or we should do that, or maybe we shouldn't do this or that. The point being, that then playing into the next concrete experience is what resets the cycle all over. Now the brain is actually learning. The brain is taking something it has observed in a concrete experience, reflecting on it, considering it to the point that they are conceptualizing it uh, outside of just what happened in the concrete experience, and then playing with that conceptualization so that it can feed into the next experience. Again, I know that's a little bit tough to understand just through the, the sultry tones of my voice. If you need to, like I said, just Google Kolb's experiential learning cycle. But that's, I think, incredibly important for understanding particularly military training where we have to learn by doing, right? I mean, in the case of something simple like dis and ass of a 240 golf, you're not going to learn it simply from a book. You'll learn from it in doing. And if you have the concrete experience of doing it once and the and you can't get the bipod off the front, well, that reflective observation on you being unable to get the bipod off, you will conceptualize a new way to do it next time. That is the active experimentation point. And in your next concrete experience, you will learn it. That's a very simple example, obviously. When you start getting into things like, oh, I don't know, applying maneuver warfare philosophy to a battalion-sized scheme of maneuver to defeat a peer enemy force, it tends to get a little bit more complicated, but the theory is still the same. However, 
all of that being said, with the the six traits and the support from the Commandant, we've got Kolb's experiential learning cycle, all of that being said, adult learning does bring with it unique challenges. Like, it is harder to do than simple pedagogical models. For example, it's just harder to gain quantitative metrics. We all know that military being bound by Congress, we work for civilians, like we must justify our budget at every possible point, and that includes military schoolhouses. When you have a multiple choice test that is easily quantifiable, we had 35 students, 34 of them passed with these grades, the grade point average was X, we can show improvement, the math makes sense, our budget is justified, thank you very much, we'll see you next fiscal quarter. That is easier to do than adult learning, where a lot of the learning taking place is qualitative, right? Hey, this person now has a better understanding of a philosophy because they have had a concrete experience of employing that philosophy in a war game or a simulation, and because they've done the reflective observation and abstract conceptualization that we forced them to do in the schoolhouse environment, we know now that learning has been created. Okay, great, man, but that doesn't fit in my Excel spreadsheet, so did they get like an 85 or a 90, right? Uh, I mean, I make light of it, but at some point that does become a pressure. That, that is an incentive pressure for military organizations. Furthermore, as an instructor, how do you judge whether a student is getting it or not? I can't go to a test, right? I can't simply say, ah, yes, you have answered D, which is, in fact, the correct answer. Congratulations, you are now smarter. I'll pat myself on the back for being an excellent instructor and go forth back into the world and do good things. No, you have to draw knowledge out of them in kind of a conversation to see what their level of understanding is. Are they applying certain principles in a war game? Interestingly enough, learning isn't necessarily tied to success. In war games, there are plenty of students who have losing records, so to speak, in the war games we conduct at McTogg, but you can tell that the student is learning and improving and discussing interesting things with both their fellow students and the instructors. They're getting it. So you can't just measure the win-loss ratio. It requires a special blend of qualitative and quantitative assessments that has to be deliberately planned for. If you don't, you're going to end up with essentially pure qualitative measures where you just, as an instructor, say, yeah, thumbs up on that guy, which is, let's say, uh, less than optimal, I guess would be the word. Point being, the assessments plan for adult learning is far more complicated than it is for pedagogical learning. And McTogg actually has an entire assessments staff, both active duty and civilians, whose entire job it is to work on that assessments plan. And we have adjusted it essentially after every course we do. There are always rudder steers and tweaks having the instructor staff get with the assessment staff as well as McTogg leadership to really hash out what are we driving at in terms of learning objectives, behavioral outcomes, and the physical realities of what we as instructors can do in the classroom or in uh, a war game with students. And something I've heard some of our more senior educators and, and again, some academic civilians who've come in and helped us with this learning science is that we're really talking about a difference here between training and education. If training is designed to develop a skill, again, dis and ass of the 240 golf or 
headspace and timing on the 50 cal, which I know we don't have to do anymore, but it's still a good skill to know, I guess, whatever. A skill is something that can be measured quantifiably and can be developed by training, whereas education is designed at modifying behavior or modifying the outcome of a complex interaction of factors. Education is just a lot squishier. I don't know if there ever is going to be a solid quantifiable way to measure education, but that does not lessen its utility to us as a force and to adult learners as a whole. But I think that's enough of me. Let's get to the good part of the podcast and bring on our guest. Dr. Gene Coughlin, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you on, sir, uh, both because I've worked with you before and I really just enjoy getting to have a conversation with you. And also because I know that you are an expert on this subject. So really, thank you for being on. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Excellent. So uh, before we get into andragogy, we have to do our PCIs as is tradition on the podcast. So if you had never joined the military, medically disqualified at MIPS, if you had never joined the military, where would you be today? <clears throat> Good question. I think all of my friends from high school opened businesses in their early 20s, and many have since uh, retired in their early 50s as a result of, of opening businesses that turned out to be quite successful. So I think if I had not, if I'd have failed at MEPS for some reason and was not able to join the Marine Corps, I would hope that like like those friends I would have I would have found my entrepreneurial spirit very early in life, open open a business and be retired by yeah. now. All right. Fair fair enough. If you were forced to write a book, what would it be? It's kind of interesting asking you this question as someone who does. Yeah, well, you know, I, uh, I did write a dissertation, which is essentially a book. Right. Um, <clears throat> and so suppose it would be titled Building Resilient Teams because my dissertation work at Pepperdine did research and writing on the idea of collective resilience and what leaders specifically do to build collectively resilient teams or build build resilient teams as we as we call it. So if I wrote a book that that would be the title Building Resilient Teams. Okay. Name one thing you think is underrated. It's funny, a friend of mine and I were just talking about this over the weekend. I think what's underrated is the four-day work week. Four 10-hour days Ooh, okay. are underrated. I think the entire country, the banking system, schools, all government services, I think should shift to a four-day work week. I think it's underrated. I think people are happier if they have a three-day weekend. I think we save a lot of pollution and, and you know, less greenhouse gases. If, if students only have to go to school four days a week, you cut 20% off your fuel budget right away. You know, 20% off of heating and cooling uh, school systems and government buildings and, and so forth. I don't, I don't understand why with technology and the Internet and, you know, big flat world now that we've gotten so much more productive, so much more effective and efficient, and yet we're working more hours now than we were 20 or 30 years ago. So I think a four-day work week is underrated. Hey, tell you what, I'm sold. So I don't know if, if that's who we were trying to convince, but, but if I'm ever in a position where I can make that happen, I'm down. Moving on to number four, what is a small tradition that you have within your friends uh, or family? It's a family, uh, a family tradition of ours is we like my wife and my two daughters. 
uh, still like to get together to watch uh, what we call a, a family movie. You know, something on Netflix or Amazon, usually something older that we watch together as a family every so often is, is, the, is what comes to mind. Right. And then who is your fictional role model? Yeah, just the, uh, the latest season of Bosch. Harry Bosch, the detective on an Amazon series that's in uh, season six now. So if I had to be a fictional, if I, my fictional role model, if I could be somebody fictional, it would probably be Detective Harry Bosch. Interesting. Gotten a number of detectives from multiple people answering that question, which I find kind of interesting. But anyhow. All right. So now that we know you, or I should say now that the listeners know you, because obviously we know each other from... But now that everyone is on the same page, I suppose let's introduce with what you did in your Marine Corps career and then what you've done since. Sure. Okay. Marine Corps career, I was uh, was an infantry guy from the beginning, rose up through the enlisted ranks to the typical, you know, became a platoon sergeant, then a gunnery sergeant. I applied for the Marine Gunner program. I got selected, then became a Marine Gunner, 0306, bursting bomb type gunner. It was a battalion gunner, regimental gunner, and division gunner in 3rd Marine Division before I retired. A couple of trips to Iraq during that time. I was with 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines. That was uh, our unit that pulled down the statue of Saddam and Firdros Square in Baghdad. I got interviewed by Peter Jennings and Richard Engel right after that. For years after that, people would say, you look familiar, you sound familiar. Then we'd figure out that that's uh, what it was. So I retired in 2007, and most folks, I went to work for a defense contractor in the uh, No Military Officer Left Behind program. Right. I did, I did, ran the uh, Marine Corps Joint National Training Capability Program uh, for MAGTAF-TC for a few years, and then I started going to school full-time and ended up in a doctoral program, Doctor of Education and Organizational Leadership at the Pepperdine University down in Malibu. And that's the uh, dissertation that you, you mentioned earlier. Yes, indeed. Yep. And just to explain to the audience where we worked together before. So Dr. Coughlin is a civilian contractor that McTogg has hired out to teach our instructors on andragogy. There's three modules, about eight lessons per module, each of them involving some readings and a guided discussion with Gene and, and, a, and a test that you got to go through with him. I myself, again, and I, I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, initially kind of thought it was going to be one of those check in the boxes things up until I actually got into it. Gene, this program is phenomenal, man. It, is, it really changed the way I approached. I'm going to use the word instruction, but that's really not even the right word for it, is it? It's, it's facilitation of learning. Correct. Right. And so when was the first time that you were really exposed to the field of andragogy? Right. I was first exposed to it probably midway through my military career, probably when I started going to schools like squad leader course and platoon sergeant course. I was exposed to it at that time. And what I was exposed to was probably a lack of it. And I didn't understand, you know, probably at that time I didn't understand what I was missing. And, and so what was happening is in those schools, uh, the instruction, the way it was presented, presented absent any consideration for people's prior experience or their contributions from, from a diverse student audience. 
that frustration with the way that the that the information was presented was probably my first introduction. I probably didn't understand what was going on really until I did my doctoral program at Pepperdine, and that's because as a as a Marine gunner, I never had the opportunity to go to a school in the military, in the Marine Corps specifically, where adult learning methodology was already embraced. So, for example, like EWS or SAL or any of the any of the war colleges, yeah, at least we're trying. Yeah, exactly. And so I didn't, because I wasn't exposed to it, I knew that something wasn't right and that the courses that I was going to, the instruction I was, was receiving wasn't nearly as effective as it could be, but I, but I didn't really understand that until I learned more about adult learning, experiential learning at, at Pepperdine as part of my doctoral program. And that's something that I think so many Marines can empathize with. As a prior gunner, with the knowledge that you have now, what do you wish you could have done to bring some of these principles into, say, a standard battalion training plan? Yeah, I think this is the conundrum of Marine Corps training, uh, all military training, and that we have the entire spectrum that we're, you know, for example, training and education command is responsible for this broad spectrum of training. So the pedagogical approach is sufficient. It's a, it's appropriate for entry-level training where we're where we're only asking our students to remember some basic terminology, to, to understand some facts and, and, and definitions and how things work, and then be able to apply them, give them examples of how they might apply things in, in limited situations, in limited context. The, and so that's appropriate for, for entry-level training. It's effective. It's efficient. We're trying to bring everybody up to the same common level. Nobody in the class is particularly special. They're all entry level. We're not concerned with their prior experience or what they think they know. We want you to remember these things, understand these things, and understand how they apply in the broader Marine Corps, which you're going to be entering soon. So that's, so that's, a, that's effective. Of course, that's not what we do at the other end of the spectrum at, say, the, the war colleges. That's not what we, what we do at all. We're at the upper end of Bloom's taxonomy. So I know I didn't cover Bloom's taxonomy earlier, but it's the idea that educational goals have six distinct levels. From least complex to most complex, it is to remember, to understand, to apply, to analyze, to evaluate, and to create. Where we understand, we know that they already have a lot of remember, understand, and apply to apply knowledge in their head. And we start them off at the at the war colleges, asking them to do analysis, to make decisions, evaluations based on that analysis, and then take all of those uh, lots of smaller decisions and group them together into a coherent whole, like plan of action. What's interesting. With with what's going on in the in the Marine Corps right now is that we're recognizing that in the middle for career level folks at places like McTogg that we need to be to look a lot more like the War College and a lot less like ITB and that conundrum that I just described is across the entire Marine Corps but it's also down to an infantry battalion like you mentioned earlier so even take it back to my time in an infantry battalion there are people in the battalion where the pedagogical approach to sort of uh, open your head and let me pour information in, hold all your questions to the end. You don't know anything about this. Let me teach you everything about it. That works in some cases. 
However, at the staff level, where we're trying to train a team of uh, mid-career professionals do analysis, evaluation, and create orders collectively requires an entirely different approach. And so that, that same, the same uh, problem set that we see uh, writ large across the Marine Corps is actually apparent in every single operational unit. And so I think the Marine Corps has to help the leaders and the trainers in each unit understand the difference between the two and, and understand how to incorporate both into their approach uh, to be most effective. And you mentioned squad leaders course earlier specifically. Obviously, neither of us have been through the modern iteration. I've never been through any of those iterations. You haven't been through the modern iterations of those course. But where will we see gains in even somebody as junior as somebody going through Lance Corporal Seminar in blending a little bit more andragogical type learning and andragogical type facilitation into a course like that? Yeah, I think it's appropriate at those levels to start introducing this type of uh, approach. Once once students uh, have any type of experience in the subject matter, for example, at a corporal's course, all of the brand new corporals have experience being led by corporals. They have experience in a fire team. and, and And for that reason, all of their experience is relevant. That our previous experience is the textbook. When you learn how to build on a person's previous experience, good, bad, or indifferent, if you can help them take that previous experience and pull it forward into the present and then analyze it, look at it, and build on it. When you get somebody to say something like, gosh, if I knew then what I know now, what we're, what we're doing is experiential learning, a type of adult learning in that, in that case. We're actually uh, having them look back on what they've done previously and then re-examining it through a new lens with some different knowledge. Uh, literally, if you would have known then what, you know, what we just taught you now what would be different is appropriate probably at the at the at the corporal level and becomes more and more appropriate and more relevant the more senior we go because those people have more experience do deeper analysis make more critical decisions and come up with plans of action that are more important that phrase you just said if i had known then what i know now is almost a perfect encapsulation in a way of of cold's experiential learning model right the <laughs> observation and abstract conceptualization of I've thought about my concrete experience in the past and now have a new understanding of something, I've actively experimented with it, that if I come across that concrete experience again, I will modify my behavior in some way. I mean, that's the definition of the model. Yep, that is exactly what Kolb was getting after with the experiential learning model. Is to, the idea is to, to connect with what folks have, have already done, those previous experiences, what we call concrete experiences, to connect with those, re-examine those in light of new knowledge, and then to decide what would you do now. So really, it really does. If I knew then what I knew now is the perfect perfect colloquialism for this. And finally, we talked a little bit about, you know, even down to like the corporal level, people who are now, they have experience in the Marine Corps and using that experience as kind of a scaffolding or a foundation from which further learning can come. I think that also is important in the modern era where a lot of times, you know, you'll see corporals as squad leaders. And as the Marine Corps continues to modernize, the modern Marine Corps squad leader could have all kinds of assets at his disposal. We are not asking that squad leader simply to execute orders from a platoon commander. That squad leader is, in fact, analyzing and making decisions on his own. Um, Indeed. 
So failing to prepare him for that, you mentioned Bloom's taxonomy earlier, and it just struck me that more and more we are asking more junior and more junior Marines to be higher on that taxonomy than perhaps we did in the past. Absolutely. The cut line is where when you start asking folks to, you know, the, 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 the classic example, the build a terrain model, bring a squad leader up. And we brief them on the terrain model. We tell them, give them some information on the enemy and friendly situation, you know, troops and fire support available, all that METI stuff. Right. Uh, and then we say, okay, I'm going to give you 30 minutes. I want you to analyze all of this, take a hard look at it. Then you're going to make some decisions and put together an order that you're going to issue to the squad. What we've just asked them to do there is to analyze, evaluate, and create. Analyze the situation, evaluate, and make some decisions and then bring all of those decisions together into a coherent whole to create the plan that you would issue. And that's what we do at McTogg as well. We, on day one, when we put them on a, on a TDG, we say, listen, you have got a lot of that. Remember and understand and apply knowledge in your head from all your experiences. We want you to right away today, you're going to start. Uh, I want you to analyze this situation, evaluate, and make some decisions, and then create a plan and tell us what you would do. When you start doing that, cause, you know, at the corporal and sergeant level, for sure. Absolutely. And, and in many cases, these are, you know, maybe 20 ish year old Marines, 21 year old at the point where in a lot of cases, particularly more senior Marines might not look at them and say, hey, you are an adult and therefore part of the adult learning methodologies. But based on their responsibilities, they absolutely are based on the experience they have. One of the traits of an adult learner is that prior experience. They absolutely are. Right. And here's another, you know, one thing that's important for folks to understand is particularly at that level is you may look at it and say, well, the corporal just doesn't have a lot of experience. And so how relevant could it be? In actuality, because the corporal has only limited experience, the relevance of any one, if a, if a, if a corporal has three experiences, let's say, and a, a sergeant has 10 and a staff sergeant has 20 and on up the line, right? If the corporal only has three prior experiences, then the, the relevance, it's not that they're irrelevant. In fact, the relevance of each one individually uh, is even more because it's a greater percentage of his whole. And so we have to help, even if the corporal's experience is very limited, we have to help them re-examine that experience in light of whatever new knowledge that we're giving to them so that they can make sense of it. And now I'm just seeing so many interesting opportunities for growth in a corporal's course setting where you've got a bunch of them together, each with only perhaps three experiences, to use your numbers. But when you've gathered all of them together, these are the people in the Marine Corps who have the most concrete experiences left in front of them, right? And we, we will get the greatest gains or, or the greatest benefit from our investment in these guys because so many of them still have 15 years left in the Marine Corps or more. So getting them to reflect and conceptualize and, and experiment with things in an, in an environment like Corporal's course, that's actually where you're going to see potentially the most gains from yeah. producing these integral concepts. I agree. Man, we're just making history here on the podcast. Just <laughs> week in and week out. If only, if only everyone listened to the McTogg podcast, what a world we would have, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. That's a pretty solid examination of andragogy in kind of a real-world infantry battalion environment. Gene, is there anything else that you want to say or get out before we, we end here? 
I think I would like folks to encourage folks to to understand that these and you, you sort of tied it by talking about the operational infantry battalions. This this isn't just TCOM stuff. The majority of the training and education in the Marine Corps doesn't happen anywhere close to training and education command. Training and education command is supposed to provide a fine example of what right looks like, I suppose. But the majority of the training and education happens in individual units at the squad level, at the platoon level, at the company level. And so these these understandings of how people learn, the importance of experience, the importance of being mindful of people's past experiences and helping them, examining those and helping them learn from it is important. And not just inside of, of PCOM, getting it right inside of PCOM isn't enough. We have to get it right across the force so that we're getting the most best training and education in all of our units. You know, ideally, making TCOMs, the formal schools job, that much, uh, that much easier. Because uh, so this is not a this is not a training yeah. and education command problem. This yeah. is a Marine Corps issue that we need to bring everybody up up to speed on. And interestingly enough, it is also fully supported by. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it yet, but MCDP seven learning. I have phenomenal book. Yeah, that is a step in the right direction. All you know, we all know that if you think back to the best commanders you've ever had in the in the military, the best commanders were always great trainers without exception. Yep. And, uh, and there has so never been an exception to that rule. I think being a great trainer is that those men and women probably had just an intuitive sense for these for andragogy essentially, right? They had an intuitive sense for simply Making people memorize information, that is not enough. That will not prepare my unit for training. I am not making an effective and lethal unit that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, hey, thank you very much, Doctor. I, again, I really appreciate it both professionally as the host of the Tactics and Operations podcast and personally, Gene, seriously, thank you for talking to us. You're quite welcome. All thank right. you. And there you have it, folks. Andragogy, uh, or at least a primer on it. I hope you learned something this week. I know we went a little long, but I think this subject is well worth the extra time. If you have comments or suggestions on the podcast, maybe a subject you would like to hear, go ahead, send it in. Again, my name is Jesse Schmidt. You can find me on The Gal or get a hold of McTogg, and we will absolutely produce something for you. Until next time, this is Tactics and Operations, Captain Jesse Schmidt signing off.